Welcome back to Coriam, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Brian Gaberti here with Bree C, and for this episode, we're going to take a look at debriefing. We work in an arena in which clinically difficult or emotionally charged cases have to be managed by our team, and a lot of times without notice. These are opportunities that we as team leaders should take advantage of when possible because there's much that can be unpacked and derived from such experiences in the ED. With the aim of trying to hone in on the best way to perform a debrief session, we thought who better to discuss debriefing than two star members of our simulation faculty here at NYU. And we're very pleased to have Dr. Shannon McNamara and Dr. Jessica Leifer join us. Now, Bree, can you tell us a bit more about our guest today? Dr. Shannon McNamara completed residency in emergency medicine at Temple University and her fellowship in medical simulation at Mount Sinai St. Luke's Roosevelt. She's now the director of the simulation division in the NYU Department of Emergency Medicine. We're so glad to have you here, Shannon. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Dr. Jessica Leifer attended NYU for medical school and completed her residency training in emergency medicine at Mount Sinai St. Luke's Roosevelt. She then completed a fellowship in medical simulation at the Mount Sinai Hospital. She's now simulation faculty in the NYU Department of Emergency Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, Shannon, to start off, can you tell us a little bit about the background of debriefing in emergency medicine and how it became a major part of your practice? So I'm really excited to talk about debriefing, and I think it's helpful to answer three big questions. Uh, first, what is debriefing and what does it look like in the ER? Uh, second, why is it important? And third, what does it really look like on the ground? So both Jesse and I have been debriefing together for the past five years, I would say. We started debriefing together in the sim lab. So we debriefed after simulations. And then we started doing simulation in the emergency department. So we brought our mannequins to the ED and we're doing resuscitations with our clinical teams in the ED. And then our group said, well, if we're doing sim in the ED, why don't we debrief our actual resuscitations? And so we started um, a project with a bunch of other hospitals in New York where we started clinical event debriefing, where we were debriefing our actual resuscitation. So debriefing after a cardiac arrest or after an intubation or after really any case where the staff wanted to talk about it. Um, and we started doing the practice very similarly to the way we would debrief our in-situ simulations, the sims in the ED. Uh, so our staff that were used to doing the sim in the ED would then do the debriefing in the recess or after the recess, and it looked relatively similar. Uh, so that's kind of how the process started. But the idea is that it's a reflective conversation with a focus on improving for the next patient. So the main three questions we ask are what happened, what went well, and how can we improve for the next patient? So it's usually interprofessional future-oriented, um, and focused on improvement, but it's not focused on blame, not focused on judgment, um, and generally a pretty positive conversation about how we all can work together. Jesse, what do, you, what do you think? I agree. And I think one thing that's important to note for people who aren't necessarily so familiar with debriefing or for residents who are at this stage in their lives mostly familiar with debriefing in the sim lab that we, it's a sort of a different conversation where we don't just debrief in our silos as just the emergency medicine physicians. And we don't just have our confederates acting as our nurses and our techs. We actually try and do sim and have the whole debriefing conversation with the techs, with the nurses, with the attending, with the residents, respiratory, anyone else who may have been involved in the case 
so that we can actually improve and reflect on our performance as the team in which we practice in. So it's a shift a little bit in conversation from strictly medical management or just talking about the nitty gritty to talking about our team as a whole and the way we actually practice in the emergency department. So given how busy it is on shift, how do you find time to debrief cases when there are still new patients to be seen and tasks to complete for pre-existing ones? Yeah, I think do we have the time is the first question people have about this. Um, Generally, a clinical debrief is five to 10 minutes, and I've done them in like two or three. So I think it depends on what the case was and what the team is used to. So um, one of the other big misconceptions about debriefing is it has to be about a really hard case or really bad case. I like to debrief cases that went really well. Um, so an intubations tend to be a really great case to debrief. So for example, say we intubate a patient and we're pushing meds to sedate the patient and like maybe we're waiting for x-ray. Um, so a really quick debrief might look like, um, going around and saying, okay, let's debrief this for five minutes. Um, Hey everybody, let's go around and have everybody introduce themselves by their name and their role. Because often, you know, how often do we know the name and role of everybody on the team? So a quick summary of uh, what happened in this case. So 30 seconds. Uh, What went well? Um, Very specific things that went well. You know, we got the airway. um, The verbal orders were really clear and there was great close-up communication. Um, It was really helpful that we talked about post-sedation meds before the plan. um, And why did those things go well? Um, we've worked together before, we've been practicing in SIM, we did an insight to on this last week, whatever it was. And how can we do better for the next patient? Well, um, you know, we were out of rocuronium today, so we had to use vecuronium and that was really frustrating. Okay, we'll talk to our admin about that. Um, anything else? Okay, our takeaways. Um, I'm gonna talk to the team about vec. Great work, everybody. Or rocuronium, great, done less than five minutes. So it can be really quick um, and we can do it on routine cases. And once you kind of get into the role of it, it goes pretty fast. There are cases, there are days when it's super busy and I don't have time to debrief and I don't debrief. Um, so it can't always happen in a busy ED, but it's a once you get used to it, um, it can go pretty fast. I think it's also very important to acknowledge everyone else's time, um, like when the case ends. And so like Shannon mentioned, picking a case that has a clear end, whether we just intubated a patient and now they're sedated so we can just take a couple minutes to gather around a cardiac arrest where maybe we didn't get ROSC and we called it, or a stroke or a trauma where the patient has now left the ER and the rest of the team is kind of left standing around. Those are good cases to have a short discussion. And you just say something like, I want to be mindful of everyone's time. I know we just spent 15, 20, 30 minutes in this case. I'd really like to take three to five minutes to discuss this and debrief with the team. If you have a pressing patient or another sick patient, you know, feel free to leave. This isn't a requirement. Um, this isn't mandatory, but I would just like to take a couple minutes. And usually everyone has another three minutes. Usually everyone can stay for a couple minutes. The nurses are usually very excited to debrief. The residents usually have questions, whether about medical management or about the case itself. So usually you can get enough interest to stay for a couple minutes. Once it's something that might start taking a lot longer, maybe something that was really, really heavy or taxing, maybe that's not the case to debrief, or maybe then it's not the time to debrief and you can find people later. Regarding the structure, acknowledging that this is gonna vary from provider to provider, what are some important components of the debrief? 
as sim people, we are deep debriefing nerds. So there is a lot of, like we go to debriefing courses. Um, we sit around and drink with our friends and talk about debriefing. Like we'll, we'll spare you all those details, but there are a lot of different formats of debriefing. Um, but the, the, and there's not agreement on what a clinical debrief should look like. People go to conferences and argue about it and there's no consensus. Um, but there are some formats out there. The main components are the pre-brief. So what's about to happen and setting some ground rules. So like, this is how long it's going to take. Um, this is the ethos. Like this is not about picking on individual performance. We're looking at systems issues and we're trying to build teamwork. Um, and like you can leave, this is optional. So pre-briefing, what's going to happen, the actual debriefing itself. So, and what happened, who is everyone? And we often do kind of a plus delta and analysis phase where what went well, what could we do better? And there's, there's a lot of debate about the best way to do that. Um, and then some sort of wrap up. Um, and there's a lot of different models out there. Some people use pearls, which is a pretty common debriefing model. Um, there's the info debriefing model published out of um, Canada, which has been very well used, led by charge nurses. Um, we, we created a model that we use that kind of had those components. What, are, what, what do you, what is your practice, Jesse? What do you do? So my practice is generally, you know, similar to what you said. I like everyone to introduce themselves, usually your team. Hopefully you had time before your patient got there and then you don't need to necessarily redo it. But making sure everyone knows who everyone is and what the roles were definitely makes it a more comfortable environment to have a productive conversation. So even though it seems like a little silly or that might take a little bit of time, it's really important. And then generally... You ask sort of to the room. I always do like a, how did you feel? I don't ask how it went because then people just sort of spiral and you can get really off sort of target. Of, they start, if it didn't go well, they start blaming themselves. They talk about all the medical, potential medical issues that they missed. And it goes away again, back into the sort of siloing of physician, not team. Um, so usually I say, how did that feel? Or any initial reactions? Sometimes you get silence and then you move on and sometimes everyone starts talking. Um, then I generally go into a just a one-liner or two-liner summary. We had a ex-year-old person who came in with this. This is what we did. Um, just in case you know the intern was busy getting IV and didn't see anything else, you still want them to be able to partake in the conversation. So it's important that everyone be on the same page. And then some sort of conversation. Shannon alluded to plus delta, which is plus what did we do well? And Delta, what would we change for the future, um, which is a quick way to sort of get into the meat of what did we do well, why, let's do that again next time, and what maybe could we improve next time. Not that we did it bad, just what could we do better. And then a wrap-up and a summary, whether you have time for everyone to go around and say a takeaway point, or if you're pressed for time, you know, sometimes as the facilitator, I'll just give a brief summary of, sounds like we talked about this and these are the two things I think we should all take away. When we're, so we've been doing a lot of faculty development around debriefing through simulation fellowship training. So we both did simulation fellowships. We've trained a lot of sim fellows. The, for people learning how to debrief, it can be really uncomfortable and hard at first. And so the scaffolding of having a structure really helps, especially when, you know, group facilitation can be tough and talking about these things can be difficult. So um, practicing with easy, low risk, like, 
good cases, a few people, and using a scaffolding and getting used to a structure that works can be really helpful. Uh, and so I think having a structure is really important, uh, especially when you first get started doing this. Um, and that's helped me, especially when my cognitive load from like focusing on resuscitation and being really engaged in the actual recess and then shifting over to the debriefing conversation, um, having a set way of doing it really helps me not lose the thread and actually make it a productive conversation. I think also one of the most productive things are is like Shannon mentioned, but to debrief the cases that actually really went well when everything went swimmingly, like this patient came in really sick, we got the line, we got the antibiotics, we got the airway, and everything went so well. We're so hard on ourselves, like in our profession and medicine in general, and it's nice to take a step back and actually talk about everything that went really well when it works well, and let's do that again. We're trying to be the best we can be, and we did really well now. Let's acknowledge that, and let's you know clap our colleagues on the back, and let's make sure we do that again. It also kind of feels good, and it's a good practice to get comfortable with the debriefing so that when maybe there are things that need to be improved upon or didn't go so well, you at least have a toolbox or a little bit more comfort with the facilitating the discussion to talk about those slightly more difficult things. Yeah, I think I can already hear people saying like, oh, but isn't that like just getting a participation ribbon? Like, why are we just talking about good things? Like, why don't we just focus on our on, on what we're doing wrong, like isn't that the problem? But there's actually a really significant shift in the culture of patient safety from safety one, which is where we focus on our accidents, to safety two, when we where we ask, why do things go right? Because when you think about it in healthcare, we're incredibly adaptive and we're working in generally understaffed, under-resourced environments, and we do a pretty good job at taking care of our patients. And so asking the question, in this un, like poorly optimized environment, how are we doing such a good job taking care of our patients? That double loop learning of why are we doing it right is really important. So in a recess where everything goes right, it's good to point out specifically this was good, but also to ask why did we do a good job here today? So this is great. Like we got the patient intubated, we got all the things, but then asking that question to the team, what supported your success today? And how do we support those resources and highlighting that to the team? Because they might not even know why they did the right thing. And so for the early learners in the room and for the staff in the room, um, that can be so important. And that learning is really important. And within the world of patient safety, a lot of folks are advocating that we shift not just from safety one, because we still need to figure out why things go wrong, but that we can learn a lot from why things go right and that that will help more things go right. Um, and hopefully reduce our errors, um, but also help with our engagement. So it helps with staff engagement, helps with wellness, um, and it feels good to talk about why things go right. So why not? Um, it's really fun. And um, I've, I've, I mean, just personally speaking, doing debriefings with staff where things go right, um, when things do go wrong, they're much more engaged in the debrief because people know, oh, this debrief is not about shaming me for my mistakes. This is a learning conversation where we want to really learn how to improve our patient care. And I know that if I'm debriefing with this person, they're not here to yell at me. They want to do a good job. And if we do a great job, everyone's going to just talk about what a great job it was and try to improve that. And if something doesn't go well, we can have an honest conversation about why not and how we can improve it. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to take care of the patient. That's it. Um, so it's it's a really, I find debriefing to be a really engaging and enriching and wonderful activity that helps me enjoy my job. Um, 
and it helps me build relationships with my coworkers. So hearing about nursing's perspective and the tech's perspective and other services when trauma comes into the debrief or cardiology or EMS or um, you learn so much from just hearing about their, you know, their work. And when we can really ask interesting questions, like, you know, I noticed that you did this or, you know, I really want to hear about your perspective on this case, like tell us more. Um, and when they can engage that way, um, you learn so much about your colleagues um, and it's, it's a really rich opportunity. For those that are developing their style, what are some pitfalls or areas of caution that you see? So I think there are a couple, and I'm sure Shannon has, or maybe there are a lot, a lot more than a couple. But so the time, I think we already asked us about that, but the time is really important. You know, the last thing you want are a group of disengaged learners who keep looking at their watches because they're like, oh, I have three patients. I have to write six notes. And if you are very clear, we're just going to take three to four minutes, that's all, you'll be able to have a much more productive conversation and people won't be looking at their uh, watches. So that was a big one for me. And one of my other big ones that it was challenging as I transitioned from a emergency medicine resident to a fellow and then attending is to talk about, like I alluded to before, really the team as opposed to just touching base on the um, the medicine because you don't want to alienate any of your learners. You want to have an engaging conversation with everyone. So you want the nurses to be able to participate. You want the techs to be able to participate. And everyone has a different level of education and knowledge. But in the end, we were all here in this event, taking care of this patient, here for the patient. So maybe the medicine is sort of an offline conversation you can table and have with the residents because their questions are very important and very valid, but that might not be the forum to have them. So for me, time and then talking about the team as a whole are two of the you know most important things. Shannon? Yeah, I think two big ones for me are watching out for the teaching style, especially guess what I'm thinking questions, and then being mindful of um, psychological trauma. So from the guess what I'm thinking questions perspective, I think a lot of us got taught in a medical system where pimping was the norm, and we sort of internalized a lot of it. So I still catch myself doing this where a way we think that we'll engage a group is by asking a question that's like, um, I don't know, what's the, what's the dose of rocuronium? Like it's, it's a question. That's not a real question. We know the answer. It's a jeopardy question. It's a guess what I'm thinking question. And that's how a lot of times we've been taught to engage our learners in medicine. And what it really does to the learners, it puts them on edge and they're like, I don't know the answer. Or if they know the answer, they, they, they feel, they feel uneasy and it's, it's the wrong emotional, um, state we want them in for learning. So, Basically, the definition of that question is, if you know the answer, don't ask it. So in a debriefing, you want to ask questions where you really don't know the answer. So, you know, like, Brian, I'm really curious about your perspective in this case. Um, and there's there's a lot of debriefing training around ways you can ask real questions and ways to include your perspective so that you're not um, hiding if you're frustrated or if you thought that someone did the wrong thing. Or You can include that and ask a real question. But ask real questions, avoid guess what I'm thinking questions. And you do have to unlearn those and retrain yourself, which takes a long time and I'm still doing it. Um, But that will help you get your learners to a place where they can engage and really have a productive discussion. The other thing to watch out for is psychological trauma. So um, we see a lot of traumatic things happen. And I don't mean like surgery trauma. I mean like bad things that happen to people. We watch people suffer and we watch people die. and I mean, we debrief codes all the time. And um, I think there's this question of second victim syndrome. So 
whatever you want to call it, when an adverse event happens or a medical error happens. So did we do something to contribute to the outcome, the bad outcome the patient had? And what's the effect of asking, how could we do better next time in that case? And does the learner then say, was this my fault? Like, did I kill the patient? And we never want that to happen. Um, Because we know from safety science that, you know, 90, 95% of error and bad outcomes are systems errors. And when we're in that moment in this very emotionally charged five-minute debrief, hot debrief after a case, we're not going to be able to unpack all that. Um, and we know that about in studies, about 10 to 15% of emergency physicians have some have a clinically diagnosable form of PTSD from work. And we do not know the role of debriefing in that. Um, the literature is very poor. Some literature says it makes it worse. Some people suggest it's helpful. We have no idea. So in that uncertainty, we need to be very cautious about what, what would be second victim cases. Um, and they're kind of like, you know it when you see them kind of cases where it's not really a routine resuscitation or clinical event. You're, you can kind of tell like, well, this is a, this is a big deal. Um, sometimes we don't know it where maybe it's the med student's first code or it's a, a case that reminds one of a family member. And so maybe one person on the team's affected, but sometimes it's a case where you can tell the entire team is devastated by this case. That is, that's a case where you want to proceed with caution. Um, and those cases, I generally don't do performance assessment where I won't ask the team, like, how could we do better next time? Um, I may say, you know, what system supported you today? What systems did not support you today? Like, let me know if there are any safety issues, but I don't, I tread very lightly with, um, having people reflect on their performance. Um, just because we don't really know, um, we don't know so much about the role of that reflection in that moment and its outcome with, with. Uh, psychological trauma. But I think it is helpful to talk about it. And what we used to do with our with our project when we were doing this um, multi-hospital project with debriefing, we said, don't debrief second victim cases. And then what we found was when those cases happened, the staff that were used to debriefing would say, we need to talk about this right now. So we said, okay, <laughs> we have to figure out how to debrief these cases. And so I, you know, I've combed through the literature and asked everybody and go to these conferences. And I'm like, okay, who knows how to debrief second victim cases? And, you know, looked at the Pentagon literature and EMS literature and nobody knows. Um, so there isn't any literature on how to do it. So I think the way to do it right is the things that we've already talked about. Make it optional. Talk about what happened. Avoid shame and blame and judgment. Um connect people to psychological resources. You know, at Bellevue, we have this Helping Healers Heal program, which came from our chief quality officer because our system recognizes that um, secondary trauma is a huge part of quality and that we need to address it, connect people to peer resources. I tell people to play Tetris because there's some evidence that it might interrupt like memory and cognitive trauma processing and it's good for you. My friend from the military told me about that. So try some Tetris. Um, but it, I think it just, it's just important to acknowledge that there's a huge power in debriefing and there's a lot of uncertainty around trauma. And we just need to be mindful of that as we try to figure out what the best practices are. But people want to talk about it and think we shouldn't stop talking about it. We should just be very mindful of how we talk about it. And if our goal is to support our colleagues and to create meaningful connections, then it's worth it. But we just need to keep in mind that our goal is to support our colleagues and create meaningful connections um, and not sit there and make a list of like, well, you missed the airway and you didn't order the right dose of epi and that's not good. Like that's not what the debriefing's for.
I think on that, that note, and Shannon's alluded to it a couple of times, that we tr- try to avoid the shame and blame. There's a time and a place. And, you know, if significant errors are made or something really bad does happen, you still don't want to call out a person in a room where maybe you have 12 other team members because that person is going to feel such guilt, such shame, and it may affect their performance for the rest of the day, for the rest of the shift, week. You don't really know how long. You know, that's a case where you either decide we're not going to debrief, I'm going to table this, and I'll, you know, maybe try and pull that person aside or whether I have to touch base with the program director offline or something, that's sort of a decision you have to make. But the, I think one of the first and most important rules of debriefing is to create as safe a space as possible that people can freely communicate and talk about what and reflect about what just happened. And if something came up that's going to make someone so uncomfortable or shame them, um, that's something that really needs to be avoided. We're fortunate to have a robust sim division here at NYU Bellevue, and you two are clearly very experienced in leading clinical debriefing. For our listeners practicing in ERs without experienced debriefing leaders, do you recommend any training resources or ways to learn how to lead debriefing? In other words, can anyone lead clinical debriefing? How funny you should ask. I just came back from SAEM where I led a workshop on how to lead a clinical debrief um, when our project was training staff and how to do it. Anyone can do it. Um, you know, the info debriefing project was run by charge nurses who got a few hours of training. Um, I think the most important thing is to have the right values and to be doing it for the right reasons. And then with a little bit of training and some practice and some support, um, you can do it. So I would be more than happy to share resources in the show notes. Um, there's a, there are a lot of people talking about this internationally. Clinical event debriefing is definitely a hot topic where people are trying to figure out um, how do we do this. You don't need lots of fancy credentials. I think you need the values of wanting to create meaningful connections with interprofessional colleagues to improve your practice. Um, and then there are great resources out there from folks around the world about how to do it. Let's go over some take-home points. One, debriefing after a clinical case in the ED is a way to have an interprofessional, reflective conversation with a focus on improving for the next patient. We can debrief routine cases, challenging cases, or even cases that go well. Two, follow a structure when leading a debrief. The pre-brief sets ground rules and informs the team that the debrief is optional and will only take a few minutes. Introduce names and roles, then give a one-liner about what happened, followed by a plus delta. Address what went well and why, then how to improve. Three, pitfalls to watch out for in clinical debriefing include avoid siloing or alienating any learners. It's less about medicine and more about interprofessional and systems issues. Don't pick on individual performance. It's not about shaming. It's about improving patient care. Proceed with caution in order to dampen or avoid psychological trauma and second victim syndrome. Finally, four, have the right values and do clinical debriefing for the right reasons. Look for some awesome resources in our show notes. Thanks, Bree, and to our guests for going over the essentials and some pro tips on debriefing. That's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter and visit us on our site, coreym.net. We have a lot in store for you guys this year, including additional videos, dissection of the most recent and classic literature, and core content review. Until the next one, this is Brian Gaberti with Bree C. signing off.